uh, certificate of occupancy. How did I do? Is that pretty much right, Brother Holland? Is that good? Okay. All right, Ephesians chapter number 6. Now, what we're talking about and what we mentioned this morning in Sunday school uh, is how to stand in the last days and the importance of how to stand and what to stand on. All these guys that preach to you when I'm out of town and things like that, we're all of the same mind, and we all recognize that in the last days, compromise is something to be fought, and you have to fight it tenaciously. Uh, the drifting nowadays is the old adage is the frog in the boiling water. Uh, just because it's old doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't have to be updated. Uh, you have to recognize that if God's done it this way this far, then there's no need to change those kinds of things. But you are going to get pressure from the outside world to try to turn things or to try to make things more modern. No need to make anything more modern. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that when we get over there, you have pews over there. You say, why? Because it feels churchy. Uh, it sets a tone. And so there's some things here that are in these passages that the Lord tells you that uh, we've already been through. And not to be redundant, I would like to pick it back up there in verse number 14. 614 and we'll be seated. Brother Brad's going to pray for us here in a second. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all taking the shield of faith wherewith all you may be able wherewith ye shall be able to, to quench the, all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for those you choose to. For who? We'll get to that in just a little while. Brother Brad, you pray. Ask the Lord to help us. Would you please? Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Come, if you will, please, two places. And I want to just re, uh, reiterate a couple of things uh, that I did this morning for those of you that weren't here for Sunday school. Come to Hebrews chapter number 11, and I'll show you some choices Moses made. Now, things in the Old Testament are written for your admonition and your learning. So when God puts things in the Old Testament, He puts them there, not just as a historical account. He puts those things there that you can learn something from. Uh, there's about three ways, uh, pretty much, that you can learn things. One of them is, is you learn from your own mistakes. That's not a great way to learn, but it does wind up lasting a long time. Two, you can learn things from what God shows you. That's a great way to learn. And number three is, is you can learn from other people's mistakes. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that if somebody else does something wrong and or somebody does something right, that if it works out right, it's okay to follow the individual. Uh, nowadays they have merit programs and nowadays they have individuals that they want them to be uh, your uh, person. What's the word they utilize for you to look up to? There's a word for that. Uh, your, your mentor, is that it? Mentor. Um, somebody to follow an example. Paul said, follow me. As I follow Christ. It's good for you to find somebody that's older than you or somebody that knows something. If you want to know how to work on a car, find somebody that's a mechanic. 
You say, why? What good would it do you to follow a plumber if you want to learn how to work on a car? You want to learn some things about carpentry? You've got a whole bunch of individuals in here that know how to do more than just drive a nail and a board. There's a little bit more to it than those kind of things. The point is, is in the Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, don't be so foolish as to think all you need is the Bible and yourself. God puts you around other people, and all throughout the Bible, there are people, a lot of times they run in pairs, and those people can mentor or help or encourage or strengthen. It's a good way for you to be able to have people that are friends of yours in the book that are in Christianity that can help you along the way. It's nothing like having a good friend to keep you out of trouble. Amen. I have some good friends. My friends don't ever tempt me to do things I shouldn't do. I, that's the kind of friend I need. I don't need somebody that's always trying to, you know, I had a friend in high school, uh, he was a surf rat, and, and he was always right on the edge of things. And I always struggled. When I was with him, I had to always be on guard because he would just, he would just slip off. Nothing really, really bad, but he would just kind of slip off the reservation. And I thought, man, I'd, I don't have any business. And plus, I was afraid my dad was going to pop up out of a sand dune or something somewhere and you know, come swimming up there right by me. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? But there's nothing wrong with having the right kind of friends. Don't you teach your kids that? Uh, don't, you, don't you teach your kids that uh, they ought to have the right kind of people around them? And your kids get a little bit older and they start dating and things like that. Don't you uh, check them out? I hope you do. If somebody's going to sell you a car or something like that, do you just let your daughter jump in a car with somebody they don't know and take it for a test drive? Or are you going to say, no, that isn't how we do it. You can stay here and give us the car. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to do that. You may not ever see them again. In the Christian life, there's illustrations, examples of individuals that did things the right way. I would say Jonah did things the wrong way. I would say Paul did things the right way. I would say Moses did things the right way most of the time, but he made some mistakes along the way, but he recovered from the mistakes. David's a good illustration of that, but not in all matters all the time. So here's Moses. He comes along here, and there's some things that Moses chose to do. I'll run them real quick for you. Notice that he refused his uh, social position in verse number 24. He wasn't looking for a title. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that's a difficult thing because Pharaoh was the then known king of the world. When you're talking riches, you can't even imagine. And whoever's got all the big money nowadays, they couldn't even touch what a Pharaoh had. A Pharaoh would live in a palatial palace beyond anything you could even imagine. Ritz-Carlton wouldn't even come close to it. That'd be like his summer house or something. And when he says he refused to be called that, he's cutting off his inheritance worldly. Earthly inheritance. He also had power that went with that. Strength. He's Pharaoh's boy. In other words, he goes out and if he speaks, it's as if Pharaoh was speaking. So when he said he refused to do that, he's not just cutting off monetary things. He's cutting off his influence in, the, in, in Egypt. Notice, if you will, please, second of all, he accepts the persecution that comes with that. Look in verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sins for a season. Uh, he rejected the sinful pleasures. Why? I'm making a choice. Now, if you're going to choose to be a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, I'll show you this in just a minute. But one of the things you're doing when you choose to be a Christian is you're making a decision that even though the rest of the world may do the things that are enjoyable for them, because you're a Christian, it puts you in a different category. Right. You can't do what they do. You're making that as a choice. And as a choice, when they get ready to pop the top or whatever it might be, no thank you. 
Guess what happens? Persecution comes. They laugh at you. They make fun of you. They, they mock you. You choose not to dress the way they dress, to do the, what they do, go where they go, be what they are. You have to be careful where your feet take you and those kind of things. You know what they're going to do? They're going to try to belittle you. The illustration I gave you this morning is, is if you go to a party and you tell them, listen, uh, no thank you, I don't want anything to drink or whatever, I'm a recovering alcoholic, they immediately will back off. But if you tell them I'm a Christian, they make fun of you. Now, that's a strange thing to me. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, well, we don't want to tempt you if you've got a problem with alcohol. Well, I'm a Christian. What makes you think the reason I don't re refuse to imbibe or to, to get drunk or to drink or anything like that, what makes you think that I'm spiritual because of that? What makes you think that the reason I don't do that is because I'm afraid it'll hook me up and wind up making a mess of my life? I just assume it'll get me. I don't just not drink because it doesn't look right. I don't drink because I'm afraid of it. I know people that I know very, very, very well, and that stuff's got them, man. I mean, that stuff's, that stuff's got them worse than crack has got some people. They can't do without it. I mean, they got it all the time. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid I'd like it. I mean, what a habit to come in at 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon and it's happy hour or whatever time, especially if you had not been happy all day and you've got to have some kind of a drink every day to go to bed and kind of have a drink to calm down. You've got to have a drink because it's Groundhog Day and got to have a drink because, you know, the sky was blue today and it didn't rain. Got to have a drink because it did rain. I mean, you become dependent on it. I'm not sure why it is that people think that you're hoity-toity or you're Mr. Super Spiritual if you choose not to do it. When in fact they have plans and programs in place to try to get you out of being an alcoholic. But they keep serving it to you. So what do I do? This is my choice. This is me personally. Now I can give you it and they've made a thing out there and a long time ago we did it and that's been redone and it's worth you having. It's got about 60 verses in there that talk about what the Bible says about liquor and alcohol. But here's a simple thing for you. If it's right, do it. If you can ask God to bless it, have at it. Whatever you do in word and deed, do all to the glory of God. God bless this hooch, but for the name of Jesus Christ, down the hatch, have at it. I believe that. But you think God's going to do that if you read what the rest of the Bible says about it? Now, when you get ready to make that decision, you know what happens? You're going to get persecuted for it. You say, why? You make people uncomfortable. You're a party pooper. You're not going along with the gang. Peer pressure's real. I don't care how old you are. Peer pressure's real. That ain't just for junior high and high school. Peer pressure goes all the way up until you're an old man or an old woman. You want to start being like them? That's why some of you ladies, you try to dress like Twiggy, even though you look like Arafat. But <clears throat> you're still trying to live the days of when you were in your 20s. You ain't. Build a bridge and get over it. Amen. Get a pillowcase, for the Lord's sake. <laughs> that ship sailed. And some of you guys, you ain't, you, you ain't no better. Skinny jeans on a guy. I, I, I can't even... And I, how do you... Uh, but there is nothing worse than seeing a 60-year-old man in skinny jeans. It's like we already know your legs are like toothpicks. Wear something a little larger so that we can maybe fill the gap a little bit. But you say, what is that? In your mind, you're thinking that you look like something you don't. You're old. Look in the mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. You don't need to go any further. <laughs> Who's the fairest of them all? Well, it ain't you, brother. 
Now, the point I'm making is, is that there's pressure for you to conform to what the world looks like. Except the fact that you've grown older and, you know, things are not what they used to be. It's okay. It happens to everybody. Their day's coming. The brick wall will turn into a mudslide before long. And they'll start forgetting things and the hairline will begin to recede and they won't be able to walk up the stairs like they used to. And they get to the top of a flight of stairs and they're... And then they're famous for this, you know, boy, I remember back in the day, I used to run 10 flights of the stairs. Yeah, how many days ago was that? <laughs> you talk like it was yesterday. No, it was 25 or 30 years ago. You've gotten old. Things aren't like they used to be. Well, let's accept it. There's nothing wrong with that. But can I just say this to you? It's ridiculous for you to keep acting like you're something you're not. I'm stay in shape, man. Push away from the table. Do everything you can. Prolong it as long as you can. Uh, but, but don't let it go to your head just because you happen to be more well-preserved. You just got more Botox than other people does. I mean, you know, it's not your diet. It's genetics. And God blessed you with that. Well, okay. Well, thank the Lord. I mean, I've known people in their 70s and 80s and they still look like they're 50. Her dad was that way. He's 96 years old. He looked like he was 70. You say, well, what was that? Well, just genetics is all I know to tell you. But, ladies and gentlemen, the thing you want to recognize is, is when you step out of the world's way of doing things, you're going to have to get accustomed to the fact that that comes with persecution. You're here on a Sunday night. You don't tell me that people that know you don't think you're weird. Now, they don't think anything at all about being at a ball game. They don't think anything about sitting at home tonight watching the ball game, whatever happens to be on there, and sitting around or cooking out. They don't think that's strange, but they think you're strange. I don't know how many of you passed. We passed a slew pot full of them this morning. It's a beautiful day today, and it's warm. It's in uh, the end of November here, coming up on December. It's going to be 80 degrees today. I mean, people are out there headed to the beach and headed to the lake and headed out back and this and that and the other. And here we go buying a suit and tie like we're going to work. You say, what is that? That's Christianity. You set yourself apart. That's no big deal. Moses said, I choose rather to suffer. Paul said, I count all things but loss that I might win the excellency of you, that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering, the power of his resurrection. Or power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering. So what you've got to recognize is, it's a choice you make. Or you don't have to. You can be a worldly Christian. You can be a worldly saved person. That's okay if that's what you want to do. I mean, you can run around, dress and look like the rest of the world and listen to their music. That's what you want to do. And preaching on that stuff is real shallow stuff. You say, what is it? Just like all the time trying to put you in a straitjacket. Oh, listen, when things get bad enough, you know what I know? I know you'll change when you have to change. And you get ready to go uh, talk to your boss about a raise. I bet you don't walk in there in shorts and a wife beater. You don't think anything about it when it comes to how you are in everyday world. Preacher, nothing in the Bible against it. No. But the Bible does say where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why you don't mind dressing up. You get upset if somebody comes to a funeral of your loved one dressed like that. You expect them to dress up out of respect for the loved one in the box. They can't even see you. But it's respect. You come to a wedding. You don't come into the wedding any kind of way. It's a wedding. It's a formal attire. You go to a fancy restaurant. I've had the privilege of going to a few of those. You walk in there and you got to have on a, a dinner jacket. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that in the courtroom where I was and back in the days when, where's, I don't see her right now, when Miss Elaine was, there she is, back when she first started, do you know years ago that if you were a female attorney that you were allowed, you could only wear a dress or a skirt, you weren't allowed to wear pants in court? 
Am I telling the truth, sis? Y'all are sitting there looking at me. Oh, you got to be kidding me. No, that was considered formal attire. You didn't dare walk into a courtroom if you were testifying without a coat and tie on. I mean, that's called, that was like in courtroom demeanor and testifying. That's taught from 101. It's either a full dress uniform or a coat and tie if you were a detective. You weren't allowed to go in the courtroom without that. You got ready to go to the prisons we used to go, and the old preacher would say, look at that right there. Ain't that something, man? Uh, you can't wear this, and you can't wear that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't have this, and you can't have that. Why? If a preacher stands up and tells you, how about coming to church that way? You call him a legalist. But you know what they say in prison? If you want to see your loved one in prison, you can't wear halter tops and tank tops and short skirts and shorty shorts and tight clothes and this and that and the other. You don't get to come in prison. In prison. Don't you find that strange? And now some of you are upset. You say, why? Because you think the preacher should never say anything about that. Well, you know what you do? You have to choose to suffer. You have to choose to be different. You honestly think I just love wearing a tie? I feel like I got a hangman's noose around me. I mean, I was taught a long time ago in self-defense stuff like that. You're supposed to always wear an address uniform, a clip-on. You say, why? Man, you talk about controlling somebody. All I have to do is grab one of y'all the necktie and put my arm around it like that. Man, you control the head, you control the body. I can beat the stew out of you with that. You say, why? I got you on a leash around your head. You say, it'll tear. No, it won't. I mean, you can tie somebody up good with a necktie. If you're worried about getting somebody you can't find, grab a necktie. You can tie them up with that. That'll hold them long enough. So I'll rip it. Go ahead, Samson. <laughs> You'll not be able to tear it. Now, the, the point I'm making to you is, you see, it's not, it's, I choose to be a freak. It's I chose to suffer. I know if I'm going to run with that bunch of Hebrews, it's going to cost me affliction, persecution, Leave your finger right there for just a minute. The verse came to mind here. Come to Romans chapter number 8. Uh, we're, we're talking now this morning or this afternoon. We're talking about what you're supposed to be doing as far as uh, uh, what you do and where you go. Romans chapter number 8. Feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of peace. Don't quit doing what you're doing, but understand with that. I think it's 8. I'm pretty sure it's 8. That's it. Um, you, what, what you want to recognize is you're making a choice. So don't be upset when you wind up being the oddball. Get a little backbone. Uh, it, it's all right to be different if you're different for the right reason. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, years ago, uh, President Reagan and his uh, seance saying wife... Um, uh, no, Rosalind, that was Carter. What was Nancy? Nancy. Uh, she came out, they came out with a program. Do you remember what the program was? Just say no. Just say no. They instigated or, or they put all that stuff in and we had to teach all the school resource officers and you got federal funds to do it and they went into all the schools and they went out there. You know what they were teaching kids about drugs? Just say no. They weren't saying stop the drugs from coming in. They were saying when they offer you the drugs, say no to the drugs. Well, it's not a bad campaign. It's a little backwards, but I mean, it's not a bad campaign. Just say no. How about you stop off the access to the stuff? How about if you dry up the supply? But you've got a real problem with that when the people that are telling you to say no are supplying it. But at any rate, 
the, the bottom line is, is you, you learn to say no. What comes with that? You're choosing to suffer. You're standing around a bunch of people and they and hand it to you. Well, just say no ain't going to cut it. They're going to laugh at you, mock you, and make fun of you. Well, didn't you teach your kids to do that? Don't you teach them that now? Well, what about in Christianity? Why can't you learn to say no? Why, why is it you feel this pressure that you've got to fit in so bad? I wish you felt that much pressure to fit in with the Lord. I really do. I don't, I don't understand why we've got to be right on the edge of things all the time. This, with this stuff, should have been, we should have matured past this a long time ago. We should have gotten to a point where you don't have to worry about your kids running with somebody else's kids because they're looking at the wrong stuff. Our kids hang out with church kids. Well, how come they're still picking up that stuff? Just say no? How about just quit it? I don't get that. You say, I can tell you why it is, though. You suffer affliction for it. It's hard to get laughed at. They used to say back in my day, I guess they say it now, I haven't heard it in years, sticks and stones will break my bones. You know the rest of it? Words hurt. Boy, I mean words hurt. I mean, you think they don't hurt. You think preachers have a hide like a rhinoceros and it's no big deal. I got news for you, man. Preachers are more soft-hearted than you think they are. They just know how to put up a good act. Now, if you're going to do what God wants you to do, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to be careful where you go and the example you set. And that's just that. And you say, what's going to happen? You're going to suffer for it. People are going to think you're weird. That doesn't mean you have to go swimming in a three-piece suit. Uh, but it does mean you might want to check on uh, a mixed bathing is what they used to call it. They go to youth camp and have the girls in the bikinis and the guys in their board shorts and all that kind of stuff. Not at our youth camp. We get some heat for that nowadays. Well, they're going to do it anyway. I don't care. They ain't doing it at our camp. Why you have them wearing dark clothes? Don't you know they're hot? So you can't see through them, stupid. Well, I don't think that's right. It's youth camp. You'd appreciate that if your, your daughter was the one fixing to get in trouble behind the cabin at midnight when all the counselors are zed out. Watch what happens here. Romans chapter number 8. Look in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <clears throat> Talking about suffering. Shall tribulation or darkness or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, as it is written, for thy sake we're cured all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the what? All right, is that in the Bible? Yes, yes. When's the last time you quoted that? He said you're nothing but a sheep accounted for slaughter. Why? Choice you made. You want to follow Christ? It may cost you something. In the days of Hitler's regime, if you were a Christian, it would cost you something. You know what's happening right now? If you're a Christian, even in Israel right now, even the Jews are against you. You better not turn against them. But if you're going to be what you call a Christian nowadays, not a modern-day charismatic-y, kind of a touchy-feely, ooey-gooey, everything-goes, kind of, well, I'm at least going to heaven kind of a deal Christian. If you're going to be the kind of Christian God would have you to be and have any kind of testimony at all, you know what's going to happen? They're going to make fun of you. 
well, why don't you teach your kids just to have a little backbone and say, well, that's part of what comes with being associated with Jesus Christ. Our day's coming. Our day's coming when he comes down out of here and blows the whole thing to smithereens. And he comes down out of the sky there and you're behind him on those white horses and your white robes and you come down uh, through the universe there and step down there on the Mount of Olives down and, whoosh, and it splits or Mount Sinai and it splits and he comes down through the King's Highway and comes in that eastern gate and stomps over all the Muslim graves and stuff that are there and uh, blood and all that. Who's this dyed with the uh, dyed garments and uh, red and from uh, Bozrah? It's the Lord. When he winds up, I'm talking about turning the whole planet to mincemeat. You'll be on the right side then. But right now, ladies and gentlemen, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. It's part of what comes with being a Christian. And you got to get ready for it. It's happening in the last days. Tone it down. Turn it down. I'll show you this. Notice this, if you will. Come to Philippians real quick. No, not Philippians. Um, where do I want to go? I think I want to go to uh, old Timothy. Let's go to Timothy. Second Timothy, make it three. Now the Lord said, those things are coming your way. Verses 35 and 36. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I'd rather just, you know, hey, you know what, everything's good. And, you know, uh, the shield of faith will quench the fiery darts of the devil. Well, that's a real blessing. But one of the fiery darts, it comes from, from each other and it comes from other people. You say, what? Well, God uses or the devil uses people against you. You know, one of the things they'll do, they'll make fun of you. You're getting ready to go to, to uh, um, some of you probably had a hard time when it was around, uh, thanks, I mean, um, what was the spook day? Uh, uh, Halloween. And they're having Halloween parties. And I bet you felt the tug that you wanted to go and be a part of that. Well, they've got candies and cupcakes and black and orange and, you know, that kind of a deal. And, well, preacher, I know it's the devil's day, but... You know, it's such a good day for time and fun. And, and I, I mean, it's just about candy and all that. You can't afford uh, candy, I'll buy you a bag. Amen. It ain't about candy. That's not the reason you did that. Don't lie. You're not starving for candy. You, you look down around the middle. You ain't starving for candy. No, you didn't want to suffer the persecution of... Not going to the party while all the other Christians are going. No, all the other saved people are going. See? You say, what do you want to do? I don't want the Lord to come back and look down at me and say, you stinking coward, you. I guarantee you if you won't stand on something like that when the push comes to shove and the pressure gets on you and some woman comes by and says or done something, you say it'll never be that way. Oh, it starts with the little things, boys. And then before long, weak moment, weak time, and the next thing you know, you're justifying it and he's got you. Back in the days of the Civil War, they brought in um, Hooker's Girls. That's where they got the name. You say, what is that from? Uh, that's from General Hooker. You say, what is that? That's what you do to a fish. That's why they call them what they call them. Gotcha.
Nowadays, they get you on the blue screen. So, well, but, but preacher, you know, I mean, you, you know, things are. Yeah, I know this. I know what you are in private is what God knows you to be. And I know it's just a matter of time that if you thought you could get away with it and not get caught, you'd do it. When it comes to that stuff, just because nobody else knows about it, you've forgotten God Almighty knows about it. But you don't care. It don't matter. I'm amazed at the people in the Bible that have the character to do what's right to do in spite of the ridicule that came along with it, including him. Laughed at him, mocked him, made fun of him, spat upon him, plucked his beard, beat him. What, what was your persecution? They're not going to like you. If they don't like me because I stand my ground on something, they're not my friend. I'm not worth to be around them anyway. Why are you so interested in pleasing those kinds of people? Why are you so interested in alibying that? You think that gives them a real well-rounded personality or something? Why do you work so hard when you're around people that are uh, so anti-God to make sure that they give you their stamp of approval? I respect the right to be anti-God. Get away from me. Why? Because when the lightning hits, I don't want to get hit. But my God won't hit them. God will let them talk about Him. But I don't want to be associated with them. You say, what? Guilty by association. Why are you so comfortable around that? And why am I the bad guy right now? Look at this thing in Timothy. You think you're not here now? This know that in the last days, verse number one, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's not queers. That's just loving yourself and what you want to do in spite of what God says. Paul said, I die when? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I... Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, holding self unto God, which is a reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Is that what he said? Yes, then what's the problem? You love yourself. Well, I just like it like this. Does he like it? Did you even bother to ask him? Why are you sitting at the house tonight? All these people are here. You think that all, none of these people in here have the maladies you have? They made it to church. I can tell you why you're sitting at the house. You love yourself. It's too inconvenient for you to drive however far you got to drive to come sit down here and listen to a dry old man preach a dry old sermon to your dry old shriveled up raisin self. That's why. Because you love yourself. It requires effort. Well, I got to get up and go to work. That's, that's what I said. You love yourself. You're interested in keeping your job. You ain't interested in keeping your relationship with the Lord. You got your behind on your shoulders because somebody said or did something, and so now you're going to pout and get poochy lip and. No, I'm just not going anymore. They just don't like me anymore. Why don't you grow up, man? I'm not trying to be hard. It's a Sunday night crowd. You're going to get up there with the Lord and the Lord speaks harshly to you. What, are you going to pout and kick yourself out of heaven? You're going to go stand outside the door there like an elder brother and say, Lord, I just don't think you're being fair with me. And the Lord's going to be out there. Oh, please come back in. I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't really... 
Oh, cut it out, man. Get a little bit of character about you. Notice what he says, lovers of them own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Hello! Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Is that what he said? You say, what are you telling me, preacher? I'm telling you that if you're going to walk the way God wants you to walk, you're going to have to choose and reject sinful pleasures and choose suffering afflictions with the people of God as opposed to uh, suffering the pleasures of sin for a season with the people of this world. Come back to Ephesians chapter number 6. There was a day and time when that was all the preaching that you would hear on. It was always on uh, those kinds of the, uh, that kind of stuff on a regular basis. But it's time some of it's resurrected. Amen. It's getting loose. Yes, and before the nut comes off the bolt, the best thing to do is get the torque wrench and tighten it back down again, Amen. and give it an extra little yes. little click on the torque wrench. Preacher, what are you talking about? There are certain bolts that tell you exactly what the tensile strength of that bolt is. And if you go past that, it'll ring the bolt off. But it also knows that if you don't tighten it down to a certain amount because of the vibration in that bolt, that bolt will gradually, the nut will gradually work itself off of that thing. And now you can have a tragic accident. So they made a torque wrench. And what that torque wrench does is allow you to tighten that bolt or that nut as tight as it'll go without breaking it off. And then it'll click and break over so you can't tighten it any further. But if you don't tighten it till it clicks, eventually, it takes time, but eventually that nut will come off. And the next thing you know, the tie rod in to fall out from underneath your car and you're wrapped up around a telephone pole somewhere. You say, what are you doing? I'm telling you, you need to invest in a good torque wrench. You need to tighten it down a little bit need to level up a little, need to just consider these matters. You say, why? Well, the holidays are fun upon you. The festivities are here. All right, look in verse number 16. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 16. The Bible says, Above all these, take the shield of faith, wherewith you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That would be the devil. Uh, don't change who and what you trust. Don't change the book. Continue to believe in the blood and the Savior and continue to have confidence in the body. Now, I've been a little bit hard on you tonight, but this is the best crowd you could ever be around. You say, are they messed up as a soup sandwich? You say, what are they? Are they like the animals on Noah's Ark? They're all messed up and we all act out of character sometimes. You say, what does that say? That's so the Lord can teach us how to be gracious. There's no better way for you to learn how to be gracious than to be put in a zoo full of animals where you have to get along with people that aren't like you. Lions have to get along with tigers and tigers, hyenas and hyenas, monkeys and monkeys, birds and animals. You have to learn to deal with that. You say, why? People are different. I don't know if you know that or not. Down here, it's like Heinz 57 sauce. You've got so many herbs and spices in here, you couldn't even make a recipe. You've got people from up north and people from down south and people from out west. You've got people that with all kind of different cultures that were raised. You've got black folks and you've got Chinese folks and you've got Filipino folks and you've got Mexican folks and you've got white folks and you've got, you got Heinz 57. I don't know there's a purebred in here. Everybody in here is some kind of a mix of something or another. And you're, then you're from a culture. Oh, we've got Arabs too. And we got, and you're mixed from a culture that's not meant as a slam. But, 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 but you know what has to happen? You have to recognize you have one thing in common, that's Jesus Christ. 
So what do you learn to do? You learn to take the things you have in common and don't make a big thing out of things you don't have in common. Everybody doesn't do stuff the way you do. You go to somebody else's house, well, they don't do it like this and they don't do it like that. And I just wouldn't do that. This is not your house. But when you come here, it's not your house. It's his. So we do things how he wants it done because it's his house. Do you understand? You don't get to come in and tell him how it ought to be. We run it according to what the book says. But what you have to learn to do is, is don't, don't lose faith in the book just because things haven't gone the way you drew it up. That's called life. Things don't always go the way you think they ought to go. And then the next thing you know, it's like, well, Lord, I didn't see this coming and I didn't see this. The Lord said, no, that's what faith is required. Sometimes the Lord will throw you a curveball and it'll be an inside curveball to back you off the plate. You don't even get a, tank, a chance to get a cut at it. He just threw a curve just to push you back to see whether or not he could scare you away from it. He wasted a strike on you just to see how you'd react to it. Well, why didn't he throw a fastball right down the middle? That's what I was prepared for because you were prepared for the fastball. He's going to always throw you a change-up. Any pitcher that's worth his salt, when he gets ready to throw a change-up, you fix it to think he's going to throw a pee at you at 100 miles an hour, and he throws that thing, and it'll float across the plate at about 45 miles an hour like an underhanded pitch, and you'll come out of your shoes trying to swing at that thing because your timing's off. You see, you forget that element. You think you know everything. You don't know everything. Sometimes it's a timing thing. It's not that you're not in the box and you're all ready to go and this and that and the other. It's what are you thinking? There's a battle going on. What's going to be thrown? How's it going to be thrown? Are you ready for what's coming and that kind of a deal? And if you've already drawn it up, I'm telling you sure as I'm standing here, he'll throw you a curveball. It'll never come out how you thought it was going to come out. You say, why? It requires faith. You have to learn to talk to him about that. See what he thinks. What do you think? I wasn't expecting this. Didn't think you were. Well, what am I supposed to do? Follow me. Where are we going? I ain't telling you. Okay. Talk about, I mean, talk about faith. Now what you have to learn to do is, is just because things don't work out, don't stop reading the book. Keep putting the book in. Nobody's mastered it yet. Anybody that would have been coming close, he's dead and gone now. You might say that he might know. You know what he said? He said, I don't believe I mastered it. Over 200 and something times through it and he hadn't mastered it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to master it. So then what do you do? You keep reading it. And you keep applying it. All right, come down real quick now. We're going to cover this thing when it comes to what you read. It's called the sword of the spirit. That's found in verse number 17. Now, I wrote these things down, and if you heard uh, Brother Sam's class here about four or five weeks ago, I guess it was, he gave you a whole thing about the rudiments of the world and about philosophy and about vain deceit and Colossians there, and he gave you some other things about holidays and holy days and, and traditions and all that other kind of stuff, and it's worth you going and getting it and listening to it. It's, it's, it's correct. It's spot on. Do you know what you have to learn to do? You've got to stop reading the modern day slop. Quit using, quit reading it. Quit having faith in uh, what does the news media say? What does the newspaper say? What does Fox News say? There's even a passage over there in 2 Timothy. You know what he says? He said, beware of science falsely so called. That's why I've been bringing up the other stuff lately. You say, what it is? You've got a bunch of people that aren't even qualified to even be called a scientist, let alone know anything about science, and they're trying to get you off of what the Bible teaches about certain things just to get you twisted up. 
For what? They're making merchandise of you. That's why I get upset about it. I'm trying to tell you, stop wasting your time with that foolishness. It's philosophy. It's vain deceit. It's science falsely so called. It's not science. It's them quoting a bunch of people. They got enough sense to pour... Never mind. But, the, but, but ladies and gentlemen, don't quit reading the book. But see, the book's getting replaced with the commentary. And the book gets replaced with what this one says and that one says and what the headlines say and what does the internet say. You're addicted nowadays to Google and to Siri and uh, uh, to, to, to Bixby and uh, whoever the search is, the duck and all that other. And now it's got where you, all you have to do is just speak it. You don't even know how to pick up a book anymore. You just ask Google. And preacher, that's just, you know, that's just a way to do it. Yeah, fast ain't always best. Sometimes along the way, that slow path, the Lord will pull you over and stop you along the way and say, Yeah, have you considered this right here? I told you that this morning. That came from a hillbilly up there at Brother Lentz's church, by the way. That, you know, sop thing. That came from a boy by the name of Beaver. B-E-V-E-R on his birth certificate. Just from reading his Bible. Preacher, I know that who that is. Well, who is that, Beaver? He says, that's Judas. How do you know that? Because the Lord identified him. He's the one that will take the sop. S-O-P, son of perdition. Find that in a Greek manuscript for me. That's a guy with a sixth grade education. You say, where did that come from? Reading. Putting faith in it. Putting trust in it. Using it as an anchor to your soul. You're having a hard time? Don't quit reading the book. Amen. Keep reading the book. Keep reading the book. Oh, I don't understand it. Keep reading until you do. Amen. There's some wild stuff in there. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm not getting on to you. I promise. I, I, but I think you feel like I am. I'm not getting on to you. I'm saying, let's just, let's just jam some spiritual smelling salts up your nose and get your head on your shoulders where it needs to be. And let's get something done for the Lord before the Lord blows the horn. He knows what he's doing. He gave you a book. Do you read it? Amen. Or is it a dust collector anymore? Your life's a shambles. Uh, when I, back a lot of years ago now, you probably have them. I guess if you go to work for a company, they probably at least hand you a personnel manual. Don't they? They tell you what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to be there. You probably have to sign all the pages and that kind of a deal for liability reasons and stuff like that. You go to a bank, you've got to read the contracts 10 times over and sign 500 pages in order to get 15 cents out or whatever it might be. You're going to withdraw money, whatever it might be. Well, we had general orders and SOPs. <clears throat> that was how you conducted yourself in the process. of. Nobody ever said, I'm not reading that. You know why we read it? We read it because if you didn't do what it said to do, the very orders you said you read wind up getting wrote up. You wind up getting fired or sometimes you could go to jail for it. Well, what about that basic instructions before leaving earth? What about that? What about just the basics of reading the Bible? You consider that? You say, what is it? It's the sword of the Spirit. Well, let me ask you a question. When we started this study a few weeks ago, doesn't it say we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness in high places? Isn't your battle spiritual? Yes. Is it? Yes. How are you going to defeat them without the sword of the Spirit? Amen. Amen. 
what these kids are doing up here, man, that blows my mind. I'm back here. You say, well, they don't really know. They're, they're getting it, man. They may not know every one of them, but I bet they know more than you. What if we just had adult class get up here and say, okay. You know what one preacher did one time? He got mad. He got real mad about it. And he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to come in and we're going to have, every time I meet for church, all I'm going to do is read the Bible until you sit in there. You're at least going to say you read it through one time. And he got up every service, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And he read until they read through the whole Bible. <laughs> he said, now at least you won't be lying when you said you've read through the Bible. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. Some of y'all here thinking, man, I don't want to do that. Well, you won't read it on your own. Jesus Christ is over there in the garden. It's almost time now. L listen to me. Jesus Christ is over in the garden, the wilderness of temptation, right? He comes out after being baptized. The Spirit led him over into the wilderness. Is that right? You remember the story? The devil comes up there and gives him those three temptations. That's after he's been tempting him for 40 days. He's been fasting 40 days. It's the three temptations that are there, right? You know what he does? He goes over there and the devil tempts him. And the Lord says, it is what? <laughs> All three times, you know what he says? It's written. Now, that's the sword of the Spirit. If the devil attacks you tonight, what are you going to say? Amen. Don't say, get thee behind me, Satan. Only the Lord can say that. You ain't got no coverage on your back. Everything I'm reading to you right here, ladies and gentlemen, that's all for the front. You don't have any. Don't say, get thee behind me, Satan. He'll crawl all over your back. That's real good, preacher. What are you going to say? I mean, you look at these guys that they get up here and they talk. You say, what are they? They have to read. They have to study. They have to pray. It's easy to sit back there and Monday morning quarterback them. I can guarantee you this. They get up here and do that. I can assure you what's going to happen to them. They're going to have to live it. Because the devil's going to listen to what they say. And they're going to go up there. You heard what he said. And that chicken's going to come sit down there on their roof. I'm just saying, he says, the sword of the spirit. Don't give that book up. Don't you fall for this foolishness of, of which one of the King James is the right King James and all. Just worry about the King James you got, okay? Don't worry about, well, this one, you know, I think that one there, they changed a, a comma or they changed a period. You got the King James, do the best that you can do with the King James. You don't need all that other stuff, scholarly stuff. That's just a way to duck out from under authority. Well, do you have a Schofield or do you have a Ruckman or, or do you have a... Just get a King James text, okay? And do the best you can with that. Amen. Now don't, don't, don't nod your head. Have you read it through at least once since you were saved? That's a serious question. You're saved by the words in that book. And the Lord tells you to study. And the Lord says, give attention to reading. And you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you don't think He's going to ask you? He ain't going to ask you because He don't know. Now, if that Bible's right, and I believe it is, from cover to cover, including the maps... That means when you're reading those words, there's something supernatural, some transaction going on between you and some seen force you can't see 
physically called the Holy Spirit and there's a transaction going on there and whether you recognize it or not, God tells you to read it whether you understand it or don't understand it, He tells you to read it. You say, why? There's something God's doing with you through that reading that you're not aware of. Are you spiritually weak? How much food are you getting? Well, I listen to preaching all the time. I know it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching in 1 Corinthians. I understand that. But you know what He wants to know? Well, you got food right there. Why don't you read it? Well, I'd rather listen to the commentary. I'd rather listen to the ad-lib Bible. I'd rather listen to this and that and the other. Okay, have you done your reading? How much reading? You sure got time to read your emails, don't you? I bet some of you will get to work tomorrow and you'll have a hundred emails waiting on you. I hope the Holy Spirit says, you know something? Maybe I should just send you an email. Maybe I could get you to read me now. Read me then. I bet I could get your attention if you get a text message and it says, this is God. I bet you'd read it then. Can you imagine God being on Facebook? Or Instagram? He'd get your attention then, wouldn't he? You think he'd talk the way you talk on Snapchat? You think he'd send the pictures you send on Snapchat? I'm just asking. I don't know. Maybe you think he would. Maybe you got one of them modern hippie Jesuses. Chilled and thrilled, man. And Hang ten, baby. We good. It's tough, ain't it? You say, what am I doing? You're a Christian. I'm encouraging you to read the Bible. What's wrong with what I'm doing? Well, you're making me feel bad about it. You wouldn't feel bad about it if you were reading it. I didn't tell you to read it 200 times. I said one time since you've been saved, from cover to cover, have you read it through at least once? Not once a year, not once a month, not four times in a year, not once every ten years, just once. Well, if the Bible's right, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, what will wind up happening to you is, is you won't have any spiritual strength because you get strength from reading the book whether you recognize it or not. Amen. And the truth is, is you don't read it because you don't see any benefit in reading it. Nothing happens immediately. The epiphany of choir full of angels don't begin singing. And all of a sudden nothing changes in your life and you just read it. And especially if you happen to be in the latchets and the thingamabobs and the dumaflitches that are tying down to this and the gold covering over the cedar and then covering this and covering that and put it together with this and put it that and then put the black uh, uh, hair over the thing, the, the uh, animals there. I can't think of the name of them. Ugly animals, man. Uh, badger skins over the top of that thing, but on the inside with the blue and this. Oh man, what does that have to do with anything? See, see, you're revealing yourself. It has to do with Him. You'd read if it had to do with you. That's why you want to read Psalms and Proverbs. Because it has to do with helping you in time of trouble. You don't like to read stuff about Him. That whole book, ladies and gentlemen, I'll close with this. That whole book, the preachers told you years and years and years and years ago, it's about Jesus Christ and a coming kingdom. That book's not about you. The greatest day in God's earth was not the day that you got saved and His Son died. The greatest day is when His Son comes and gets what He is rightfully uh, deserving to have. 
But you know what the truth of the matter is? I'll tell you why you don't read. Because it's not about you. That's why the devil doesn't read it. We had a student turn in a thing the other day and he said the devil uh, is afraid of God. No, he's not. I had to put some red ink on the paper. The devil ain't afraid of God. If the devil was afraid of God, he'd repent. Yep. Right. The devil's not afraid of God. He's not afraid of his prophecy. He's not afraid of what he says is going to happen to him. Prepared for the devil and his angels and hell. And all. He don't care about none of that. He no different than you. I'll tell you why you don't read the Bible. Because it's not about you. It's about him. And that's why you don't want to read it. I want to read what's, what, what's in it for me. What's in it for me? What about me? 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 What about me? I'm going to change it this year. Do it before January 1st. Lord, I want to learn about you. Good. Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. All the way to Revelation 22. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. From Genesis to Revelation. Just once. Just once. I'll say this and I'll close. And you get up there and you got all those authors that are there. And you got 66 books that are miraculously put together. And we all boast and brag about the miraculousness of the King James Bible. And how it is just supernatural in its nature. And how God preserved it. And we know all the stuff about it. And how the authors came together on all the different continents. And put together all the different stuff. And it has all the prophetic stuff in there. And none of the other books in the world are like it. And you get up there in front of the Lord. And the Lord says, well you knew a bunch of facts about the book. Could I ask you a question? Did you read it even once since you were saved? Most Muslims read the Koran more times than we read the Bible. So you're getting on to me. I don't know who's not reading. I'm not looking at nobody in particular. <laughs> That's not me making you feel like that. You're guilty. Put your, put, your, put your foolishness down and pick up the book and commit to reading it. It's not like war and peace. Just make up your mind, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read it. And read it. You say, what it'll do? It'll change your life. Ma'am, you're starting to see them lines up across here, frowning lines or whatever they call that, and crow's feet, hopping, crow hopping around and, you know, making them little squinty things. Don't need Botox. Read the book. Give you a facelift. A lot cheaper than paying a plastic surgeon. And then you can still move your eyebrows. You go see a plastic surgeon, it's like, smile, I am. Don't lose faith in the book, folks. Amen. But I wouldn't want to be at the judgment seat. And after all that God went through to provide that book for you, and put it in your lap, and Him ask you, did you read it? Amen. You know what I do know? I believe if you read that book, I believe it'll change the way you see other people. I really do. 
You know the people that cause trouble in church? They claim to be a Bible believer, but they never read the Bible they claim to believe. Too busy reading everything else. 